Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, August 13, 2012. Today we are reading from the big book. We are in Bill's story, page 4, beginning with the first full paragraph, abruptly in October. Yesterday's share code for the abstinence panel, share code 2838. That's 2838. And today's readers, Judy B., Fran, Carol, P., and Penny E., in that order, please. And we thank you. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting to our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Phyllis to read the 12 steps. Hi, my name is Phyllis, and I am a compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Phyllis. I will now call on Du to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Du Compulsive Overeater. 
12 Traditions, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise to list problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our Public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and please keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we are resuming our study in the big book of Bill's story. We're on page four, beginning with the first full paragraph, abruptly. And I ask Judy B. to get us started. Thank you. Good morning, Judy B., a recovered compulsive overeater. Abruptly in October 1929... Hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was 8 o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The ticker still clattered. I was staring at an inch of the tape which bore the inscription XYZ32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished, and so were many friends. The papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. 
That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several million since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. Wow. A a very deplorable, uh, terrible time. And... um, what Bill chooses to do or what Bill does because he is a an alcoholic is to numb all the feelings, numb numb the situation with more drink. And um you know, the real reality is just not being faced. Um this his drinking has given him a false sense of security. You know, he says, So what? You know, so what that my friends have lost all of this money? Tomorrow is another day. And so he continued to drink. And that old, fierce determination to win came back. That is what the alcohol did for him at that time. It just, it, it, it just took him away from what was really going on and gave him this, this determination, this, this uh, feeling that he could win even though this was happening. So he continued to drink. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Paula. May I ask you? Of course. Thank you. You know, on that line, I was finished and so were many friends. The papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. And here we see, finally, the, the humanness, the, the compassion, the understanding, the pity, all the things that make up a person were all being dispersed. And where were they going to? Not to Bill anymore. He was going to the bar with no thought of his friends. And he said friends. Now, I, I think he meant the term in a loose way, but my friends had dropped several million since 10 o'clock. So what? So what? Bear the utter selfishness of this disease. There is only one that you're concerned about, and that is yourself. And then it says clearly, tomorrow was another day. How many times we've said that? Well, tomorrow I'll do it. It was always tomorrow and never today. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Hi, this is Audrey. May I share? Please go ahead, Audrey. Good morning, everybody. This is Audrey from Minnesota, gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. And just like like Bill, you know, back to the food, day after day after day. I would not jump. I wouldn't have the guts to actually kill myself, but going back to the food was daily suicide because I was face down in the food, face down in the toilet, completely self-absorbed, not aware of anybody else's pain. And here it is. I would not jump. I didn't have the guts to do myself in. And yet by the time I came to OA How five years ago, I could really appreciate how Mama Cass Elliot had choked herself to death on a ham sandwich. And I prayed to God that was going to happen to me because I was so miserable. 
And I love this. I went back to the bar, you know, looking for console. We went back to the food. We went back to the insanity, back to eating 20,000 calories a day, back to choking on food, back to being, you know, having so much, um, you know, depression and self-loathing and hatred towards God. And I'm so grateful that by doing a few simple things every day, starting with, you know, the surrender of the ego and the addict, that we have a chance. We have the grace of living in the promises and having a life of sane and happy usefulness. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Audrey. Anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, this is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Leia. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I love this. You know, 1929, that was a really scary time in America. You know, everyone was being destroyed. But, of course, the arrogance and the denial of an alcoholic says, sure, it happens to everyone else, but it won't happen to me. He gets that bravado of the liquor. And, you know, this is something that's not too long ago in our past, you know, in 2008 when the um, markets collapsed. You know, how many people decided to live in denial and just pretend they could afford their homes and pretend they could live the lifestyle even though, you know, they lost jobs and things like that? And I remember reading an article where it said that all these industries were collapsing, but the three things that weren't changing was liquor, cigarettes, and junk food. Those were still going because that's where we go. We go to the escape so we can deny and we arrogantly think that the rules do not apply to us. So when he said that he was going back to the bar, that's the same way I looked at my family. I have a lot of alcoholics. They go to the bar. I just go to the kitchen. You know, I'm better than the alcoholic because I go to the kitchen. It's the arrogance. It's the denial of that, of that alcoholic mind, of that compulsive reader mind that keeps us in a place where we just are in bondage to the self and to the food. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to share on this paragraph? It's Irini. Irini, please go ahead. Good morning, everyone. My name is Irini. I am a compulsive overeater. So here, you know, he's way—he's so opposed to God, godly uh, humility. He was very prideful and arrogant, self-centered, and um, very often all these result to self-destructive behavior. You know, pride goes right before destruction. You know, he knew better. His solution was better, um, and um, and that was the bottle, and not to jump out the window. And um, so he was obeying his own God, and that was the Bible, and that was the bottle. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you. I'd like to comment on this statement uh, that disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. Um, You know, indeed, as was just mentioned, that was Bill's solution. Bill didn't have a problem with drink. Uh, To him, you know, alcohol was the solution. And, yes, other men uh, jumped in uh, despair. But uh, And people think that the greatest loss in life is death. But for those of us uh, who have been in the quicksand, the greatest loss in life is dying on inside while you're still alive. That That is a loss. That is a loss in life. You know, um, to confuse 
uh, intoxication with peace of mind. That's not peace of mind. That's being drugged. That's being medicated. That's being, um, you know, so doped up that uh, so in such a stupor that you don't feel life. You're not in reality. You're not in reality. You're living in your own little fantasy, uh, medicated and anesthetized from the world, from the pain, um, so to speak. And that's exactly what I see here. I went back to the bar. That was his solution. But the bottom line is dead is dead. People might be jumping out of buildings, but um, drinking oneself into oblivion is not experiencing life. It's experiencing, you know, intoxication and being anesthetized from the challenges and the ups and downs of life. But it's not living life. It is uh, self-will run riot. You know, self-will run riot. If things don't go my way, well, then I'm not going to play that game. You know, I'm going to check out. And that's exactly what happens here. Things aren't going my way. The pain is too intense. The disappointment too great. I'm not going to jump. My pride won't allow me to do that. I'm not going to do that, um, but I will drink myself into oblivion. And, of course, the old fierce determination to win comes back, again, uh, seeing that, that, that Bill is running the show. He is God. He is running the show, standing in, on his own two feet, making his own decisions, running the show, and in the end he will run uh, his life into into deeper quicksand. With that, I pass. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Janice. Did I hear Janice? Yes, you heard Katie, too. And Katie. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. All right, where where are we getting a picture of where Bill is at. You know, remember, this is the progression of his disease. You know, who more, more, who, a more talented man was not, was hardly there. I mean, this man was so talented, so full of um, enthusiasm for this job that, that he had. And what's happened, what's happening to him here is, remember, drink was taking an, ever more important part of his life. It was more serious every day, continuing all day and almost every night. And at this point, he's wobbling, he tells us, from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. He didn't even go to work first. He's going first to the hotel bar, then to the brokerage office. So he's already under the influence. And then he went back to the bar after finding out what was going on at the office. You know, Bill had only one solution. He didn't have any other solution yet. His only solution was to drink. And I don't know about you, but when I was in that place, I could try to justify and minimize and rationalize what I was doing and compare myself to others. You know, my darling husband David always used to say comparisons are deadly. But here Bill says, you know, I'm not going to jump. I'm not going to be one of those people. This is a horrific time, the stock market crash, a horrific time for people. But Bill saw him, you know, we're either worse than, better than. And he, his liquor, his alcohol was making him think in ways that the food used to make me think. 
you know, that old fierce determination to win had to come back because what else did he have? What else did he have? Liquor was the only solution that he had. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Katie, you're up. Hi, this is Katie, a compulsive overeater. And I think the part that is is so uh, important to me in this story is you can't read this paragraph by itself. Because by itself, it sounds like it's still working for him. It sounds like, what's the big deal? He saved himself from death by having a drink. So that sounds like a pretty good thing, you know. So I go out and get drunk instead of killing myself. So what's the problem here? This is saving me. Alcohol is saving him at this point. He has not hit bottom. And so, you know, I just think about the times in my life when I look back and there was, you know, it's like I see people in the same stages of their life and they're like so having such a hard time. And I think I didn't have a hard time like that. You know, what was the big deal? And then I remember I was eating my way through that time of my life. No one knew what an emotional wreck I was because I ate every day. But the food, the alcohol is still working for him. He still has a long way to go. So um, <clears throat> I'm just grateful that, that he didn't jump. Okay, with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? All right, then we'll move on to the next paragraph with Fran, please. Good morning. This is Fran, compulsive overeater. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had plenty of money left and thought I had better go to Canada. By the following spring, we were living in our accustomed style. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. No, St. Helena for me. But drinking caught up with me again, and my generous friend had to let me go. This time, we stayed broke. And it just makes me think of the geographic escape. Maybe something, you know, if I go somewhere else, I'll feel better and... um it's it never works because you bring you with you, and I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Fran. Who else would like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Please go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. So off to Canada. His friend had plenty of money left, and so he thought, well, maybe there will be a place for me to continue. And I like to uh I like to think about the progression of the disease lest we lest I forget what happens in the progression of the disease. That delusion and that denial is so strong. It's what keeps an alcoholic going. It's what keeps a compulsive overeater going. That delusion, that denial, that things are really as bad as they are. You know, they were living in their accustomed style. He got back into the groove. He got back into the swing of things. But drinking caught up with me again. Again. And I don't know about you, but there's nothing worse than that feeling of here I am 
again. Here I am again. And here they were again. And this time, his friend had to let him go. Lost yet another job. But the progression is going down farther and farther and farther. Because this time, we stayed broke. He couldn't fight his way up and out of that place. This time, we stayed broke. So Bill and Lois are in pretty dire straits at this point in time. And soon we'll see even more of what the disease is going to do to them, do to him. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else like to share on this paragraph? My name's Lay. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. But drinking caught up with me again. You know, uh, you can run, but you can't hide. You know, I know I tried the geographic cure, and uh, boy, you know, that that, uh, disease was always nipping at my heels. And certainly we see this in the progression of Bill's illness. You know, uh, his life is controlled by his desire for drink. You know, and uh, no matter what his pursuits are, his accomplish, his dreams of accomplishment and, and having a lot of folding money in his pocket, uh, he ends up bowing to the demands of his disease over and over and over again. Because as we see in this progression, alcoholism is going to make decisions for him. The illness made decisions for me. You know, uh, I thought I was eating for freedom, uh, but I became a slave to that next bite. Uh, Bill feels, uh, you know, on top of a mountain at times, but and maybe drinking for, uh, you know, out of a feeling of, um, you know, being on at the top of his glory, you know, beating his chest that he's accomplished and he's living in an accustomed style. But the bottom line is he has become a slave to the drink. He has no freedom. He always has to pay the piper. He always has to pay the piper. So he can run and he can pursue dreams of accomplishment and lots of money in the bank and fame and fortune and glory and uh, being a great entrepreneur. But the bottom line is when he takes that first drink, the disease always has the last say. Disease always has the last say. So he's drinking to feel better at times, but as we can see, he always feels worse, always feels worse. You can run from this disease, but you cannot hide. It's always there. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Then we'll ask Carol to read the next paragraph, please. Good morning. Thank you. Carol, compulsive overeater. We went to live with my wife's parents. I found a job then lost it as a result of a brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelcome hanger-oner at brokerage places. Um, Here is just uh, more of the progression of the disease of alcoholism. His life is going downhill. He's not supporting him himself or his family, he can't hold a job. Um, and for you know, for five years it says he hardly drew a sober breath. And um from being so high, high, high up and you know, now he's going very low 
and uh, his wife is working at a department store, and if that's not bad enough, uh, she comes home to find him drunk. Um, the shame and embarrassment of the situation was not enough to stop him um, from continuing to drink, um, and it's only going to get worse uh, as uh, the disease will have its way. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Carol. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula, may I share? Please, Paula, go ahead. This is Paula. Yes, Paula, go ahead, please. Thanks. Paula, press star one to unmute. Hi, this is Paula. May I share? Yes, Paula. Please go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm getting a bad signal here. You know, I just on that line, I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. Now, this is the same guy that was everybody's buddy. I mean, this was not good time Joe. This was good time Bill. And everybody wanted to be with him. Ah, He was a great guy to be with, very charismatic. But look at what happened here. I became an unwelcome hanger-on. They didn't want him with them anymore. And he still hung on at brokerage places. And I just see that sometimes as a transformation. Who wants to be with you? You don't even want to be with yourself anymore. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. This is Katie. Janice and then Katie, please. Thank you, Leah. We went to live with my wife's parents. You know, they're at the point now where they can't even maintain a household. They can't even maintain their own household. So now they're sleeping on the couch, you know, living with Bill's parents. He found a job and then lost it. And he didn't even lose his job, he tells us, as a result of the work that he did at the job. He lost it because of a brawl with a taxi driver. You know, his life was getting so out of control. And his workplace said, you know, we can't have somebody working here like this, Bill. We can't have somebody who's who's having fights with taxi drivers and getting arrested. And, you know, we can't have that. And he says he would hardly draw a sober breath, hardly draw a sober breath for five years. For five years he's lived in this place. You know, suffering greatly, suffering greatly, seeing his wife coming home exhausted to find him drunk, becoming unwelcome at the places where he used to be welcome. You know, what a horrific progression of this disease we're seeing, suffering. Well, you know, I suffered like that thinking every day, somehow, some way, things could be different, but they couldn't be different. When the disease has you by the throat, when the disease has you by the throat, and you think there's no way out, you can't see. You can't see. And Bill's in that place, not being able to see anything but the life that's in front of him. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. 
Katie, your turn. Katie, press star one to unmute, please. Would anyone else like to comment on this I'm paragraph? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is Katie. Um, I'm having technical difficulties. Can you hear me now? Indeed. <laughs> oh, this is painfully embarrassing. Okay. I'm sure that at this point he is just begging to be back where he was when the market crashed. I mean, here he was scoffing at people, um, and now he can't draw a sober breath. And the disease is just progressing in such a um, in such a, a I can't think of the word, but just so rapidly. And for me, as a compulsive overeater, it just speaks to the time where I could go on a diet and I could lose the weight. I just couldn't keep it off, but I could go on a diet and I could have that high of losing weight. So I just thought the idea of complete abstinence seems really stupid because I didn't have a problem. I could lose the weight. I could lose the weight. And, yeah, it probably wasn't very healthy that I kept gaining, you know, 30, 40, 50 pounds every other year, but so what? It's, it's working for me. And then the day came when I could not even stay abstinent for one day. And that's where he is. He's at the point where he, nothing is working for him. And, um, you know, he, he can't keep a job. He can't, you know, he's, uh, his wife is working, which in those days, that was, you know, very humiliating for the wife to be the one making the money. And he just keeps progressing worse and worse. It gets worse, never better. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. My name is Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. We went to live with my wife's parents. Uh, And again, my wife began to work in a department store coming home exhausted to find me drunk. Um, You know, Bill's life is deteriorating faster than he can lower his standards. And that's exactly what happens, you know, in the progression of the disease. It just spins out of control. Life managed by me was unmanageable. Life managed by Bill is unmanageable. I mean, we read this paragraph What do we see? We see irresponsibility. We see unreliability. We see uh, lack of dependability, inconsistent. Um, You know, people walk on eggshells. He's unpredictable. He's got financial unmanageability. He is isolating. He's depressed. I mean, that's just to name a few. He's pathetic. (laughs) Bill, you know, gifted with so many talents, um, which are obvious, a charismatic, you know, highly uh, brilliant young man here is pathetic. Why? Self-will run riot. How is it expressed? In his alcoholism. You know, the disease is progressing. He is under the influence of another. He cannot be there for work. He can't be there for his wife. He certainly can't be productive. He can't be useful. He can't contribute right now because he is busy worshiping and bowing to his master. And who's his master right now? Alcohol. Alcohol has become the master. Bill is now a slave. And with that, I pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph?
Okay, then we'll move on with Penny E, please. Good morning. Thanks, Leah. This is Penny E from South Jersey, a compulsive overeater. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three, got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars, and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicatessens. This went on endlessly, and I began to waken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler of gin followed by half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. There were, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Wow. Um, this is such a picture of unmanageability and powerlessness. And, you know, in some cases it's a terrible, terrible thing, but in this particular case, what a blessing, because he was headed towards his bottom. He was headed towards finding the solution. And uh, at this point, you know, there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. At this point, he didn't know what the problem was. Uh, so, therefore, he had no idea what the solution was, you know, a mental uh, and a, a uh, spiritual experience sufficient to bring about recovery. He thought the cessation, the cessation, the stopping of drinking, was the solution, and he kept picking up. Um, and I just always use the the uh, example. It's the, it's as sane as eating a box of X-lax and trying to use willpower, getting back on track, not to void. It's impossible. It's insane. And once I ingest the the, the the food, the alcohol, or whatever, my body requires me. It's a necessity. See, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. And uh, with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Penny. Who else would like to comment on this paragraph? This is Christy. Christy, please go ahead. Good morning, everyone. My name is Christy, and I am a compulsive overeater. And I love this line. Of course, I love it now that I'm in recovery, but it says, liquor ceased to become a luxury. It became a necessity. And uh, what that particular sentence means to me is that, you know, there was a point in my life, a point in my um, my eating career, if you will, that, you know, I mean, maybe I could take it or leave it. You know, maybe I could take it or leave it. When I was four, my disease looked different than when I was 14, looked different than when I was 24, looked different than when I was 34. But there was some point in time, and I don't remember exactly when it was, I don't remember exactly when it was, that addiction took my choices away. You know, I, um, I couldn't push the food away. I couldn't say no thank you. Um, I, you know, when I'm talking, when I say eating, you know, of course I have to eat. Eating was a necessity, but I'm talking about compulsively overeating. I'm talking about compulsively overeating. I'm talking about continuing to eat when I'm too full. I'm talking about, you know, eating foods maybe I didn't particularly care for, but they were there. Um, I'm talking about eating you know, raw foods that should have been cooked or, you know, frozen foods that should have been thawed. I'm talking about the type of eating, the type of eating that, um, you know, is addictive. And 
you know, I, I don't know when I crossed that line. I don't know when I crossed that line, but my addiction took my choices away. It took all of my choices away. I had no choice. I had no choice. I had to eat. I had to eat. And, um, you know, uh, you know, this other part where he says, um, you know, he'd get a few dollars, a small deal would net a few hundred dollars, and he'd pay his bills at the bars and delicatessens. He wouldn't pay his, you know, I don't know, his mortgage. He wouldn't pay... Um, you know, whatever other bills, you know, utilities and that sort of thing, he'd pay his bills at um, the bars and delicatessens so that he could drink when he wanted to. And that was exactly the kind of behavior I had. You know, I countless times I would go to the grocery store, I wouldn't have a whole lot of money, and I would write a bad check. And I would buy, you know, $100 worth of food. I would not, you know, write a bad check, which isn't a good idea anyways, but I wouldn't pay, pay my utility bill. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that sort of thing. I would write a bad check for food and I would make it worth my while. You know, if I'm going to pay that check fee, that bounce check fee, I'm going to make it worth my while. And that is the way I lived. And why is that? Because eating, eating, became, compulsively overeating became a necessity. And it took away, it took away all choices I had. It took away my freedom. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Who else would like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Janice, go ahead. Thank you, Leah. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. And this went on endlessly. 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 Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hopes. This disease of alcoholism, this disease of compulsive overeating, has a form of insanity that keeps us from the truth. It keeps us from the truth. And even when... I could stop. I could never stop myself from starting again. I could never stop myself from starting again. And Bill's telling us here that even though there were periods where he could stay dry and Lois would get hopeful once again that maybe Bill was going to get better, maybe, maybe things were going to get better in their lives, it never ever stayed that way. He would pick up again and again and again. But nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, he tells us. That form of insanity that keeps us from seeing the truth. And I've been there. I've been there. You know, no matter how great my desire or my wish and no matter how many times I managed to put down the food and keep it down, the inevitable would always happen. I would pick up again. I was beyond human aid. You know, and here Bill was beyond human aid too. No matter, no matter how much Lois wanted it for him, he couldn't stay sober. He couldn't put the alcohol down and keep it down. And that was true for me too. I couldn't manage or control my way out of this situation anymore. But the veil was over my eyes. The disease of compulsive overeater had me, had me locked in this way of thinking. It's a disease of perception, and I couldn't see the truth. No matter how injurious it was, I couldn't differentiate the true from the false. 
It was the only way I had. I was stuck, caught, prisoner there. You know, thank God we would eventually find, through Bill's wonderful experience, a way out of this. But here he's in the depths of this disease. That perception, that perception is so skewed and he cannot see his way out. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Janice. My name's Leigh. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Bathtub gin, two bottles a day, and often three got to be routine. I began to awaken very early in the morning, shaking violently. What happened to Bill? I mean, just on page three, you know, (laughs) drink was taking on an important and exhilarating part in his life. I mean, he was having fun. And now on page five, oh, my goodness, look what's happening here. Uh, Gin, two bottles a day, and, and often three, is getting to be routine. It's becoming a regular customary procedure for Bill Wilson, you know, to down three bottles of gin. It's becoming routine. That's why the big book teaches uh, that the abnormal becomes the norm for us. The abnormal becomes the norm. We can't differentiate the true from the false. This becomes our life. We start adapting to this way of life. And drinking's not fun anymore. He's not having fun. He's waking up in the very early in the morning shaking violently. That is not fun. But his alcoholic life seems the only normal one. You know, we can see here he cannot live with it, but he can't live without it either. <laughs> and that is the pain. That is called getting cornered by one's disease. I know I experienced that. I ate to forget the pain of what was going on in my life and the unmanageability, and I was haunted. I ate to handle problems in my life, and I saw my problems multiply, just like Bill. I ate to cope with my life. I ate to cope with my problems, but I invited in death. I invited in despair and darkness. You know, I ate to feel better, and of course, I always felt worse. That's exactly what's happening here. Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. I mean, don't we know it? With addiction, if you try to control it, you cannot enjoy it. And if you try to enjoy it, you can't control it. We're stuck. He's being, he's being pushed by the disease, by his master, into a corner. He's getting mangled. There's more to go, though. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Okay, then we'll ask Judy B. to read the next paragraph, please. This is Katie. Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Uh, this is telling the progression again. His, his world is falling apart. All of the people in his life are are having disaster, great disaster. And he's not able to do anything about it because he is uh, completely taken over uh, by his addiction. So here we see despair and darkness. And I remember that period in my own life before I found OA. Um, My home had not been taken over by the mortgage holder, but uh, other things were happening, which was, Uh, despair and darkness. I was separated after 22 years of marriage. My mother had just died. 
a family member was severely ill. Um, I, I thought that, that there was just no light. There was no light at the end of that. I just, uh, it was just a miracle, a miracle that a good friend told me about OA and that at my first meeting I heard that even if all of those things were happening, we, we do not have to use food uh, to feel better because food makes it worse. And this is what we see with Bill. You know, he's in utter despair and darkness. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy B. Anyone else like to comment on these lines? This is Fran. Sharon. Fran, and then Sharon, please. Um, I was thinking of the impact that disease has on the family and how everybody, the effects of the disease affects everyone around you and how everyone's impacted by his disease. And uh, it's a family disease and everyone's affected. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Fran. Sharon. The thing that, this is Sharon. I am a recovered uh, compulsive overeater. I am, in looking at uh, this paragraph, it, it uh, gradually things got worse. Basically, uh, some of these things were of his own making. Um, he moves in with his in-laws, and apparently they had been stable. They'd been able to hold on to their home. But now we see that they're losing their home. They're good codependents. Um, allowing, uh, trying to save Bill and, and, let, and yet losing themselves. But uh, then the mother-in-law dies and the father-in-law becomes ill. And this is Bill's story and, it, and the way he's written it is that these things are happening to him. That, um, and but in life, when you're sober and sane and uh, not an addict, these things could happen. Your 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 mother-in-law can die, and your father-in-law can become ill, and it's not this huge thing that's happening to you. It's just what happens in life. But when we're in, when we're an addict, when we're in the food, uh, things that happen in life take on a bigger reality. And we blow them out of proportion, and it becomes all about us. It's what's happening to us. Um, and oftentimes what we will find when we recover is that some things that happen are just life. It's just what happens in life. Other things that happen are of our own making. We create the problem, and in this case, he created the problem uh, in causing the house to be uh, uh, turned over to the mortgage holder, and um, we don't know what influence his addiction had on his on his family. But oftentimes, when we're in addiction, we create our own problems, and we find that when we recover, the problems that overburdened us and overwhelmed us, and uh, recover as well. And we find that a lot of our problems are of our own making. And, and also we create and magnify them within our own mind and make them 
out of proportion and consider ourselves unique and that all of this is happening to us. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Who else would like to comment on this paragraph? All right. Well, we'll continue on in Bill's story. Please, uh, Fran, the next paragraph. I'm sorry, Leah. This is Fran. Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. Oh, I'm sorry. I woke up. This had to be stopped. I Fran, saw. I, excuse yes. me. Back up one paragraph, please. Then I got oh. a promising business opportunity. Oh, Thank okay. You. My book is marked up. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at the low point of 1932 and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished, and I pass. Thank you. Who would like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Go ahead, Janice. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. So... The last sentence of that paragraph, then I went on a prodigious bender and the chance vanished. You know, Dr. Silkworth told us so beautifully in the doctor's opinion, this exact kind of thing that happened to these men who suffered from this disease of alcoholism. He tells us back in the doctor's opinion that these men, these men would do this very thing that it was not just entirely a problem of mental control. They took a drink or so prior to the date of some big business venture, some, something in their favor that was going to happen. And then the phenomenon of creating at once became paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. And remember, Bill is still drinking during this period of time. And even though this new promising business opportunity was before him, and they needed this new business opportunity. You know, the house is in foreclosure. His mother-in-law has just died. Things, their life is, is in a pretty dire strait. But what does he do? He picks up the drink again. He couldn't stay stuck, and he couldn't stop himself from starting again. Couldn't stop himself from starting again. You know, what a place to be in. And the chance for some kind of a thing to happen well for them, a good thing to happen for them, vanished. And don't you think he wanted that? Don't you think he wanted that thing to turn their lives around, but he couldn't control the craving, he couldn't control the desire, he was out of control. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. My name is Leah, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Yes, indeed, uh, this business opportunity 
uh, was presented to Bill, but it was with the understanding that he had to remain sober. <laughs> you know, we've got this business opportunity for you. It's got your name on it, Bill Wilson, but you must stay sober. And as I recall the story, you know, they were, he, was, they, he was sitting around with other businessmen and they were passing a bottle of alcohol that he hadn't had before, you know, something very exciting, and it passed by him. And he said, no, no, I don't drink anymore. I don't drink anymore. No, thanks. That's not for me. It passed by him a second time. And you know what? The disease had to say, you know, the disease had to say, take, take that first drink and off he went. Uh, he obviously on a prodigious bender and that chance vanished. That's why the big book teaches us that this is a baffling disease. This is cunning, baffling, and powerful because we have an utter inability to leave it alone despite the great necessity and despite the wish. He had the necessity. You know, he's lo they're losing the house. He's sleeping on his mother-in-law's couch. He can't rub two pennies together. He has the necessity. He has the wish. He has the wish. But the, the willpower is not enough. Determination is not enough. His great intellect is not enough. His knowledge about the financial markets is not enough. It's not enough. You know, that's why, you know, they tell us that, you know, we have this great ability. We have these great opportunities that God gives us. We have these great strengths. The big book talks about that. He's often, often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor. But in that respect, he is incredibly self dishonest and selfish. He often possesses special abilities, skills, and aptitudes, and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself and then pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless series of sprees. That's exactly what's ha happening here. He's such a talented, intellectual man, but intellect uh, cannot overcome the insanity that has come about due to his alcoholism. It's not enough. You can't heal a sick mind with a sick mind. And with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment before we close up shop today? It's Esther. Esther, please go ahead. Good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater. I was thinking that you could get dizzy just watching Bill's rise and fall from having money to not having money. You know, he's on the golf course and the stock market crashed, and then he went up to Montreal and made money again, and then he lost it again, and now he's got another opportunity and back down again. It's almost as if you can predict that as soon as good fortune goes comes Bill's way that he's going to turn all of that to rubble, you know, on account of being um, an alcoholic. And this is exactly what I felt about myself, that as, as soon as good fortune would come my way, you know, God's way of saying, here, take another chance. You know, I I didn't know what to do with it. Being in in the um, in the disease of compulsive overeating, I was not able to make use of any of the fortune that God sent my way. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Esther. At this point, we're going to close the meeting. I ask Carol, please, to read from page 164. Thank you. This is Carol, compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggested only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship <coughs> with him is right 
and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.